Okay, so uh, if you look at your outline, tonight's title is Jacob's Prophesying with Blessing, Part 1. Uh, next week will be Part 2. So uh, with, it, with these uh, upcoming messages, we are coming to the conclusion of the book of Genesis. So Genesis has 50 chapters. And uh, starting with this message tonight, we are coming to chapter 49. So a lot has happened up to this point. And, uh, you know, Genesis began with one man, an individual named Adam. And it continued through Adam. It continued with Abel, Enosh, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and eventually Jacob, which is who we've been talking about for the past few weeks. And when we get to Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons. And these 12 sons become eventually the house of Jacob, the house of Israel, which is, which is composed of these 12 sons that are the 12 tribes of Israel. So what we realize here is God began with an individual, but eventually he ends with a house. That's how Genesis ends. So this tells us something. This tells us that God does not want an individual. Rather, he would like a house, the house of Israel. Okay. Now, these uh, 12 sons, at this point in Genesis 9, Jacob is getting toward the end of his life, and he gathers his, his boys together, okay? And he prophesies over them with blessing. What that means is he is speaking something of God over them, and these things that he speak, lo and behold, they come true. Right? Because at this point, Jacob has passed through so many experiences. God has worked so much in him. He is transformed, mature in life to the point where when he speaks, this speaking becomes God speaking. We know this because eventually the words that Jacob spoke are recorded in the Bible and the prophecies that he said eventually came true. So he prophesies over his 12 sons and along with that, he adds blessing to them. So we're going to look at that tonight. So just quickly, these 12 sons, they are divvy up into four groups. So tonight we'll cover the first two groups, which will take care of the first six boys. And then next week, uh, another brother will finish up with the other six boys, okay? All right. Well, the thing is this. Why is this important to us? Why is this important? This happened uh, several thousand years ago. Why is it important? It's important because the house of Jacob or the house of Israel, if you look at point one, is a shadow, a type, and a picture of the church. Because in the New Testament, according to 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, the church is called the house of the living God. Okay? So, on the one hand, yes, we are individual Christians, but what God desires to have is to build up his believers as a house. And so the church is the house of God. And the house of Israel is a foreshadow, a type of the house of that is the church in the New Testament. So what that means is whatever Jacob is speaking concerning his sons, the house of Jacob, also applies to us. 
So this is very important. So we need to get these points down. Not only that, but the church in the New Testament as the house of God actually is the reality of the house of Israel in the Old Testament. So which is more important, the shadow or the reality? reality. The reality is. So what that means is the points and the principle that comes out of these stories actually applies to us more than to the house of Israel thousands of years ago. So actually these points really are about us. It's almost like way back in Genesis 49, God decides to give us a picture of what our Christian experience is gonna look like even before we became a Christian. Isn't that crazy? So this is, uh, I, I consider this part of Genesis the most beautiful, the most uh, splendid, majestic, um, grand prophecy in the entire Bible, okay? And uh, just briefly, the reason is because uh, this word here in, in Genesis 49, it, is, it contains the entire history of Israel. It also talks about the church. Then it also talks about our own experience, and it talks about the history of the church, all combined into one story. Okay? All right. <clears throat> so we're going to start tonight. We're going to look at um, six kids. We're going to start with the first group. It's the first three, the first three boys. So Roman number two says, uh, the prophecy of Reuben, Simeon, and Levi show that it is possible for our natural status and natural disposition to be changed. This is both a warning and an encouragement to us. So with the first person here, you have Reuben. Um, okay, so Reuben, among the three, Reuben is divided and separated, and Simeon Levi make up the other group in the first three, okay? And they're divided by their action. Reuben's action was his lust that led him into a defiling act, a sinful act. And Simeon and Levi's action was their disposition of anger and wrath that led them to, to slay, slay men and, and so forth. Um, and so uh, Reuben shows us that we have a certain status before God. But that status, based on uh, what we do, based on our action, can be changed by God. So if you look at the verses here on the Reuben, so what I did with the verses, I put them in columns, and across from each other is where the other verses that ties in, the other parts of the Bible that ties into those sections that helps us understand what's going on. So if you look at Genesis 49, 3 and 4, verse 3 says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. This is very, very positive. And the reason why Reuben is spoken so positively here is because he is the firstborn. And as we learned from before, the firstborn, if you have the status of the firstborn, you receive the blessing of the birthright. And with that blessing, Reuben is spoken of here as being preeminent of might, strength, dignity, and power. And the birthright that Reuben receives 
that no one else received. Only he gets this because he's born first. That's his status by his birth. He received the double portion of the land, the priesthood, and the kingship. Okay. <clears throat> well, Reuben being firstborn is similar to us. We are also firstborn. How many here are firstborn? We should all raise our hands. Now, based on your natural physical birth, you may or may not be firstborn. I'm not a firstborn, I'm the middleborn. Which, by the way, I think is the best of, you know, if you're going to be born somewhere. No, kidding. <laughs> but when we got saved and when we received the Lord, our status got changed and we became firstborn. We know that because in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that we are in the church of the firstborn. This is important to God because now having the spiritual status of a firstborn, God can give us blessing. We have the right to the double portion. We have the right to the priesthood and we have the right to the kingship. What does that mean? That means we have the right to enjoy Christ. We have the right to express Christ. And we have the right to represent Christ's authority on the earth. But with the story of Reuben, he was born first. But because of his defiling act, he lost his, firstborn, he lost his, his status of the firstborn. And he lost his birthright. So what that tells us is even though we now before God have the status of a firstborn and we have the right to enjoy these things, if we do not take care of the same thing that Reuben didn't take care of, we also will have our status change and we will lose our birthright. So let's see what happened to Reuben. So in verse 4, it says, Reuben was boiling over like water. Then it says, you will have... You will not have the preeminence because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, he went up to my couch. So what happened with Reuben was, he was boiling over with lust. And being boiling over with lust, he did not have any restriction and eventually that led him to a defiling act. And he went into his father's bed and committed fornication. Okay. In 1 Corinthians 7, 9, the middle column there, you see, I have a verse that says, but Paul speaking here, but if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with desire. So in the Bible, lust is described as something that's boiling and burning. Okay? And so because of this, because Reuben committed this one act, he lost his blessing from Jacob. Jacob would not bless him. And, and instead, Jacob gave that blessing to Joseph instead. Okay, the reason why this is important is because we, from our experience and from studying the Word, realize that actually this one matter of fornication can cause us to lose our enjoyment of Christ, lose our ability to express Him, and lose our ability to represent Him. If you look at 1 Thessalonians verse, chapter 4, verses 3, on the third column, it says here, For this is the will of God. Okay, if I were to ask you, what is the will of God? What would you say? You say, oh, for me to express God. For me to represent God. That's right. And so, then if I ask you, okay, now that this is the will of God, what should you do? 
You may say, I should pray. I should tell my friends about the gospel. I should read the Bible. I should serve people, right? I should go to church. We would come up with these spiritual answers, wouldn't we? But look what Paul says here. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication. Isn't that interesting? So of all the things Paul could have said here about taking care of the will of God, he mentions fornication. Because this one matter of fornication can cause us to stumble and fall and not be able to participate in the will of God. So it's very serious. In contrast to Reuben, who had no restriction over his lust, he's like boiling over like water, just boiling until something happens. Jacob gave the blessing to Joseph because Joseph also had a similar incident, and, and this was mentioned already, but instead of, um, instead of allowing that to happen, Jacob flee. And so in Genesis 39, 12, you know the story when he was in Potiphar's house, Okay, uh, Potiphar's wife tried to grab him. She grabbed him. She had him by, the, by his garment. And what he did was he didn't start praying, oh, Lord, help me, get me out of this situation. <laughs> wait, wait, let me read a couple verses and uh, stop. Don't you know I'm a Christian? And uh, what well, I mean, you know, not a Christian, but I'm a man of God. I'm, I'm an Israelite. He didn't kneel down and, and say, God, have mercy on me. Remove this woman from me. Help me. He didn't do that. Well, he just fled. It doesn't seem like a very uh, spiritual thing to do, but that's what he did. And interestingly, the New Testament has the same approach concerning this matter. It says in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee fornication. And so fornication, as we're taught by the Bible, is not something that we can pray read more Bible verses, go to meetings, and have it taken care of. It's too powerful. It's too strong. If you don't believe me, you just look around you. You guys know this more than I do, being here at the university, being at the age that you're in right now. It's a very strong matter, and we live in a very dark age. And the solution to that is not, I need to read more Bible verses. I need to pray more, although it is good to read more Bible verses and to pray more. But what we're taught in the New Testament and the Old Testament is concerning this matter, we need to flee. We need to just get out of there. Don't get in the ring with the bull. Okay. But I think, you know, as I, I was concerned this, I think some, a lot of you guys may respond, you know, I will never be caught in fornication. I just, oh, I just have a hard time imagining that. I'm only 17 now. I'm only 18 now. I just... I'm, I'm just barely a teenager, I don't, I, you know. I've never had this experience. Wow, I just, I'm a Christian, I love the Lord. I just don't see myself getting caught up in this. And I agree with you, okay? However, what you have to realize is if you go back to Genesis 49, in verse 4, it doesn't start with Reuben defiling the bed. It starts with him boiling over like water. There's always a start somewhere. And eventually, that boiling over lust, without restriction, led him down a path into his father's bed. You see that? Okay, if you go look at Joseph, in the second column, middle column, Genesis 39, 10, and 11, it says here, And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. So when, listen, when Potiphar's wife grabbed Joseph, it wasn't like all of a sudden this just happened. 
there was something happening before. And day after day, she was trying to get to him, trying to get to him. And eventually, look at the next word, and one such day, he went into the house to do his work. And none of the men of the house were there in the house. So eventually, she tried day after day, and eventually one such day came. And no one was there. It was just her and him. And the opportunity manifested itself. And she grabbed him. And he fled. So, you know, we may think, I'll never get caught in fornication. I should certainly hope so. However, you have to realize, there's a start before then. There's a start before then. And if we don't restrict that, then what happens is eventually, day after day, we just, just keeps happening. And eventually what happens, like Genesis 49, 39, 11, and then eventually on one such day, on one such day, it happens. You see? So in the New Testament, Paul not only tells us in 1 Corinthians to flee fornication, but in 2 Timothy, he also says, flee youthful lust. Because lust is what leads us to fornication. So we have to be very careful with this. It's kind of like the proverbial, you know, if you dance around the well long enough, you're going to fall in. None of us have the intention of jumping into this well. However, we may dance around it, you see? And, on, and if we do it day after day, then eventually on one such day, whoops, um, I'm falling down the well. Okay, so we have to be exercised for the Lord to limit our flesh, restrict our flesh. Just like Joseph, we all have lust. This is all the men in the Old Testament, all the ones who says, everyone in this room, we all have lust. And we have to exercise for the Lord not to uh, give indulge in this lust of the flesh. So we have to pursue in sanctification, right? So it says, flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> now, I'll say lastly on this topic, um, you know, we're, we're all failures, right? And the older we get, the more we understand that and realize that. Um, so, you know, we understand we all have had failures of some sort. Um, but what the Lord shows us in his word is even in our failures, we have the gift to repent. The Lord gives us the gift of repentance, which means we can turn from whatever we, direction we were facing and turn back to the Lord. So if any of us are in any situation of failure, we have to realize the Lord allows us to repent. Okay? And so I'll just finish with this verse in Galatians 5.21. It says, Envying bouts of drunkenness, carousings, and things like these, of which I tell you beforehand, even as I have said before, that those who practice such thing will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so what I want you to get here in this verse is, you can analyze the phrase, those who practice such things. Okay? So whatever failures we have, whatever we may be caught in, what God desires is that we would not continue to practice these things. Okay? Make a turn and not practice these things. Because if we practice these things, then eventually it leads us into a direction, the door opens up, and then we may find ourselves falling into a well that we don't want to be in, okay? Okay, let's go on to B. In B, it says here, Simeon and Levi 
receiving no blessing because of their cruel disposition. But Levi receiving the priesthood because of his absoluteness, desperation, and faithfulness to the Lord. And so, okay, when we come to this section, there's good news here and there's bad news here. Okay? So what this section shows us is we all, before God, we are made with a certain kind of disposition. The word disposition means your character. Some of us are good, so we have a good disposition. Some of us are bad, and we have a bad disposition. Some of us are quick, some of us are slow, quiet, gentle, mean. We all have a disposition, okay? And uh, <clears throat> what this section shows us is if we uh, allow the Lord to use our disposition in a certain way, we will receive a blessing. However, if we act out our disposition, we will lose the blessing. Okay, I'll try to explain that to you. So in Genesis 45, verses 5 through 7, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. So this tells us what they're like. Their disposition is kind of, you know, warlike, fighting, angry. Then Jacob says this, Come not into their counsel, O my soul. Be not united with their assembly, O my glory. For in their anger they slew men, and in their self-will they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I would divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So what happened here is, earlier in Genesis, in chapter 34, Dinah, who is Simeon and Levi's sister, she was attacked and defiled by a group of people, a group of men from a village called Shechem. And so when Levi and Simeon found out, of course, their disposition is wrath and anger. So they decided we need to seek revenge. We're going to seek revenge. So eventually they tricked them and they waited for the right time and they came in and they slew all the men in the village. And not only that, but they hamstrung the oxen. Okay? This is how cruel they were. Okay? And so because of this action, because they acted according to their disposition, when we come to these two guys, Jacob also gives them no blessing. He says, I'm not, I'm not, not coming in with you guys. Okay? All right. <clears throat> Interestingly, later on in Exodus, uh, Moses, when he was coming down from the mountain, Mount Sinai, after receiving the commandments from God, as he was coming down, the children of Israel were worshiping a golden calf. Okay? And God was angry, Moses was angry. And eventually, uh, Exodus here, 32, verse 26 says, Moses stood at the gate of the camp and says, Whoever is for Jehovah, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gather themselves to him. So Moses, like, drew a line in the sand, said, what are you doing worshiping idols here? God just brought you out of Egypt. He did all this for you, and you're, and you're worshiping idols. And Moses says, okay, who's for God? Come over here. And of all the 12 tribes, only Levi came forward. Okay. Then Moses says this, and he said to them, thus says Jehovah, the God of Israel, let each man put his sword upon his thigh, 
and go back and forth from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each man kill his brother, and each man his companion, and each man his neighbor. That's a very strong verse, okay? It's kind of verse that we're like, wow, what's going on here? But we have to realize there's a principle here that God's trying to show us. So what this show us is Levi and Simeon, okay, God's, God wants to slay the idol worshipers. So God's asking, okay, who can do this? I need some who can come to Sai and slay the idol worshipers. Okay, Simeon has that kind of disposition, doesn't he? He's already done it. Levi has that disposition too. He's also already done it. Both tribes have that disposition. But Simeon does not come forward. And Levi says, well, you know, I'm kind of like that. So he said, okay, I'll come forward. He offers himself to God. He says, okay, here I am. What do you want? And God says, do this. Okay. So he offers himself to God, and God says, slay them. When, back in Genesis 32, when they were, when Levi slay the people who defile his sister, that wasn't so hard, right? That he didn't have, that his disposition was angry, wrathful, killing. He didn't have to, like, deny his disposition to do that. He lived out his disposition to do that. But here in Exodus, it's, it's the exact opposite. God wasn't asking him to kill enemies. God was asking him to kill brothers and companions and relatives. This, what's, what's our disposition at that point? What, what are we thinking at that point? Wait a minute. I like these people. My brothers and my relatives and my, my neighbors, I don't, I'm not going to kill them. I don't like that. Okay? I like killing the other people. I don't like killing my brothers. You see? So actually, Levi here, he did something that he didn't like. God uses disposition of slaying for God's purpose here. And in doing that, Levi had to do something he didn't want to do. Okay? So what this shows us is that whatever our disposition is, whether good or bad, if we respond to God, you know, God says, who, who will come forward to me? If we respond to God, we consecrate, that's called consecration. If we consecrate ourselves to God, okay, then we have to act in a way that we may, against our likes and our dislikes. We have to act in a way against our likes and dislikes. And then we let God use that in a new and transformed way, then we will receive a blessing. Amen. And so later on in Deuteronomy 33, Levi has received the blessing again. Simeon does not. So in 33, it says here, and concerning Levi, he said, may your thummim and your urim be with your faithful man. So later on, what happens is, Levi is blessed with the priesthood. He received the priesthood. Because he was faithful to God, he was desperate, he was absolute at this point. God asked him to do something he didn't want to do. God was able to use his disposition, and in using that in a new and transformed way, eventually Levi received the blessing, okay? All right. I got like two minutes. Okay. Roman number three. Now we come to the best part of the message, actually. Okay, it says here, the prophecy concerning Judah, Zebulun, and Issachar portrays Christ in the four Gospels. 
the shipping out of the gospel in Acts, and the practice of the church life in the epistles and Revelation. Okay, so in the first group, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, the best thing that comes out of that is the priesthood. But there's no Christ yet. It's just a priesthood. Levi's become priest. He's able to come into the presence of God, and he can bring other people in the presence of God. Eventually, Levi's slaying ability is used by God to slay the sacrifices for offerings for people. So God used what he had for his own purpose. Okay? But there's no Christ yet. But with this next three group, Judah, Zebulun, and Issachar, Christ comes forth. We know this because... In Genesis 49, verse 8, it begins to talk about Judah. And in Revelation 5, 5, it says, And one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. This is concerning Christ. Okay? And so with, with Judah, what I'm going to say is, Judah signifies Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So the four Gospels in the New Testament is, is covered right here in, from verses 8 to 12. Can you believe that? So it says here that Judah, you can just, wherever you see Judah, just put the word in Christ. Christ, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father, father's son will bow down before you. Christ is a young lion. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he stretches out like a lion, and like a lioness, who will rouse him? So here, Judah signifies, he portrays Christ as a young lion. And you know what this young lion did? He destroyed his enemy. And he's victorious. He's victorious because he, you know, the, the lion lives in the mountain, and it comes down, and it gets the enemy. Then once it has its prey, it goes back up to eat it, right? And so that's what the verse says here. It says, Judah is a young lion from the prey, my son, you have gone up. Hmm. Doesn't say anything about going down, just says going up, meaning he's already done down there. He's gone back up. He's victorious. So the gospel shows, the four gospel shows us that Christ came and he was victorious. He defeated the enemy and he went and he ascended back to the heavens. Okay. <clears throat> um, and then just skipping to verse 11, there's more on this on the reading, so I'm not going to cover all of it, okay? In verse 11, it says, Binding his foal to the, to the vine and his donkey's coat to the choice vine. The donkey here signifies us. You see that in the reading. What it means is we bind ourselves. We are bound to the vine. The vine is Christ. That's John 15. That means today we don't need to fight anymore. A donkey is a beast of burden. He does a lot. He's trying to travel to a certain place. You have to realize your Christian life, you should end all your journey because you've already made it to Christ. Yeah. And when we get to Christ, we need to be tied to him. And as the vine, we just enjoy his life, the riches of his life, and the produce of the vine. Okay, you see more of that in the reading. Okay, then after the gospel, you need some to preach the gospel as the good news. And that's what Zebulun is. Zebulun will dwell at the shore of the sea, and he will be a shore for ships, and his flanks will be, his flank will be toward Sidon. Okay, Zebulun signifies uh, the going out of the gospel. Okay, when Christ, when Christ started in his ministry on the earth and began to preach the gospel, he started in Zebulun, which is part of Galilee. That's Matthew 4.15. And then when the, after the Lord did his entire ministry and he resurrected, he told his disciple, 
I want you to go to Galilee and you're going to see me there. And so they went to Galilee. And then when he was at Galilee, that's Matthew 28 here in the middle, it was there that he says, go. Go and disciples the nations. So Zebulun is described as like a port with ships going out. Okay, ships, they carry a certain cargo and they go out and spread those cargo. So here, Zebulun is the believers like ships. You realize you're, you're not a donkey, you're a ship. And Christ wants to blow on you to send us out Amen. with the riches, the cargo of Christ's victory, Amen. right? And so eventually, this started on the day of Acts. Uh, I saw Pentecost in Acts 2, 7. Remember, they were speaking, and two cents, and they were amazed and marveled, saying, Behold, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Okay, so Zebulun signifies the preaching out of the gospel. This is portrayed in the book of Acts. So uh, Judah is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Zebulun is the book of Acts. Then Issachar is the entire epistle from Romans all the way to the end, and then covering Revelation as well. It says that Issachar is a strong donkey couching between the sheepfold, and he saw a resting place, and he saw that the resting a resting place that was good and the land that was pleasant. Okay, so here I would just say this: after we hear the gospel, after we receive the gospel, and we go out with the gospel, eventually we need to find a place of rest where we can enjoy the Lord with other sheep. Right? Okay, and so this is the church life. Right? This is the church life that's shown to us after the book of Acts from Romans all the way to, to Revelation. And in the church life today, what are we doing? We're binding our donkeys to the vine. We're not fighting. We're not laboring. We're enjoying the Lord. We're resting in his satisfaction. Okay. It says here, though, it's very interesting. I'll end with this. And he bowed his shoulder, if you look at toward the end there in verse 15, 49, 15. And he bowed his, sho he, he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a task worker to bring tribute. Mm. So in this rest, you know what happens? We become task workers. Mm. Actually, we bow our shoulder down like a, like a donkey, right, to work. So now in the church life, you know what we do? We actually work. After we rest, we work. And what do we do? We work to bring tribute, which means to bring an offering to the Lord. Okay? And so I'll end Romans 15, 16, that I might be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, a laboring priest of the gospel. A laboring priest of the gospel. Mm -hmm. In order that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable and been sanctified in the Holy Spirit. So what we do today is in the church life, we enjoy the Lord, we rest and have satisfaction in Him, then we bow our shoulder down and we go out and we bring other people to the Lord, leading them to know Christ, leading them into the church life. And when we do this, then they become an offering that is acceptable to the Lord, a tribute to Him. Okay? And so hopefully next summer, some of you have a wonderful opportunity with the internship. You've been enjoying the Lord this fall. I'm sure the enjoyment will be even more next semester. And then after the spring semester, you know what you need to do? You need to bow your shoulder down. Go into the summer with the shoulders down. And go on that campus, go on that campus and bring some to the Lord as a tribute to him, as an offering for his satisfaction. Okay. All right. So this covers the first six sons of Jacob. Next week, we'll look at the next six. So right now, why don't we just put up in a group and go ahead and do the reading.